the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host for today. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and we are the leading provider of lines of credit for small nonprofits in the United States. If you're interested in learning more, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Patton McDowell from PMA Nonprofit Leadership. Patton is a nonprofit expert, best-selling author, speaker, and coach. He leads PMA Nonprofit Leadership, a consulting practice he founded after his successful 20-year career in the nonprofit sector. He is frequently sought after, he is a frequently sought-after consultant and speaker on nonprofit issues of strategic planning, organizational development, and staff and board leadership. Patton received a BA from the UNC Chapel Hill, uh, from UNC Chapel Hill, an MBA from Queens University of Charlotte, and a doctorate from the University of Southern California. He's a certified fundraising executive, a master trainer for AFP International, and a director of the Institute for Philanthropic Philanthropic leadership. Patton, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Delighted to be here, Stephen. Thanks for the opportunity. So today's topic, which I think it's always a very, very important topic, and that is your path to nonprofit leadership. Um, You know, uh, I'm a firm believer that leadership is, is, uh, is learned. It's not something that you're just, anyone's just naturally great at right off the gate. Uh, there are people I think that maybe ease into it a little easier, but like most people, you just have to keep working on it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's exactly the reason I wrote the book titled Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. Because Stephen, it's resources like what you're doing through this podcast that it is an ongoing graduate education, I think, in leadership that I think our sector needs. And that's exactly what I was hoping to do. Yeah, I... I uh... You know, I've had to develop myself uh, over you know twenty five years into leadership. So, I, uh, a good leadership, good leader, excuse me. And so, I am a firm believer in in you know the idea that leadership is learned. So, do you think that uh, leadership is different in a nonprofit than it is with corporate America? Yes, uh, I think it has every bit of the management requirements that are for profit colleagues have. But there's an additional complexity and several levels to that, Stephen, as you know. uh, Often you have fewer resources to do the same kind of volume of activity. You've got a unique governance cycle in that you you have, instead of one boss, you have 12 to 15 board members. So the governance and the relationship you have as a nonprofit leader there uh, adds complexity. And again, you just don't necessarily have the staffing resources. You're dependent often on a volunteer infrastructure, which is different. You know, you don't have the same incentives of compensation that our for-profit friends have. So those are three reasons, I think, that add a level of complexity to nonprofit leadership. Yeah, I think one of the, I agree with you. I think one of the other issues, you know, I learned over the years is, there's three people in a company or a nonprofit. You have the worker bees who are really doing all the hard work. 
you have their, the managers, and then you have the leader. And um, the problem is, is in a smaller nonprofit, that leader is often the manager and the worker bee too. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it, when, I, when I learned that, it, it explained why I wasn't always a great manager um, because I had too many hats on. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think one of the key ingredients as a, uh, to become a great leader is they got to be able to free up time so you can think. Uh, and uh, would you, you know, what have you kind of learned for your experience? Yeah, I've got a whole chapter on that because I t- couldn't agree more, Stephen, that you need to have time for what Cal Newport describes as deep work in his great book, Time for Strategic Focus. And I think nonprofit leaders often get caught into that kind of uh, vicious cycle of just surviving their calendar instead of being proactive. Yeah. So I, I try to work with the leaders we coach around exactly that. You've got to find time to be able to step back and be strategic. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of ways you, one can do that. I mean, one of the things that I, I just love to do and is often, you know, I try to carve out two to three hours over a cup of coffee a week for strategic thinking. And, you know, listen, it's, it's when you're running a smaller organization, uh, it's, uh, I don't care if it's for profit or nonprofit, um, you, you're, you're not always going to be able to be in one silo of, oh, um, the leader of the organization and that's all you do. Uh, you know, it, it's you often are playing in all three roles. Uh, maybe as you continue to go along and get rid of the worker bee role and be a manager and a leader, but it's really hard. And so I find like to just carve out two to three hours a week on my calendar in a block of time. A lot of times for me, it was a Friday afternoon. I felt like things slowed down a little bit at work. I could go to a coffee shop. I could look at things strategically. And then rest of my time on the week was, you know, implementation of that strategic direction. Um, have you, have you found some key ingredients that you think are, are great ways of uh, becoming and and working on a leadership role? Yeah, I think what I try to define in the book, I think there's seven key elements. I call them the seven stops along the path to nonprofit leadership. And, and it's many of the things you just described. Again, I love your weekly ritual. By the way, mine is a Saturday morning ritual that I mm. have found as a weekly review and then a weekly preview, you know, both allowing for that strategic time. So I'm a big fan of that. But I, I believe there are these seven elements that get into nonprofit leaders because they have to focus literally on the day ahead. Sometimes don't ever look ahead to the one, three and five year plan. What do they need to do to become more effective as leaders? And as your podcast title implies, is it graduate education? Is it certification? What are those areas you need to cross train in? Again, a lot of nonprofit leaders, as you know, Stephen, they come in through a single channel. I came in from the program side. Some come in as fundraisers, some come in on finance. You may, as a nonprofit leader, you're going to need to have some decent experience, I think, in all of those areas so that you can manage as you described earlier, and not get pulled into the weeds. What are those? You said seven or five? I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's quite right. I've got I got a lot of numeric checklists in this book, but there's seven steps that I believe are critical to nonprofit leadership. Okay, so so tell me the seven right now, and then maybe we could dive into a couple of them. 
Absolutely. And just quickly, number one, sharpen your vision. You know, I, I have what's called a vision framework, helping someone define what do they want to do in nonprofit leadership over the next one, three, five, maybe 10 years. And that varies, of course, as you know, some people are like, I need a new job now. Others are, I love my job, but I want to get better. Uh, I, the next chapter is called Map Your Course. And it literally defines kind of the different skills and experiences you have. I have a checklist, for example, what I believe are the 10 essential skills and experiences for nonprofit leadership. That self-assessment allows you to, I believe, organize your plan. And that leads to the third chapter we call Get in Shape. And it's not just the fitness that that implies, although if you're not kind of taking care of yourself, you're not going to be in shape to do the leadership that is required in the nonprofit sector. So we talk about those types of elements of getting in shape physically, mentally, organizationally. And then the fourth one I call curate knowledge, Stephen, because there's so much information coming at us as nonprofit leaders. How do you even organize it? And so we talk about ways to organize your literal library but how do you maintain the digital resources that are coming at you, but you may not have time to absorb them so you can get better? Number five, then, is I call it express yourself. Nonprofit leadership, to me, fundamentally has important communication skills, written, spoken, presentation, interpersonal. And so I get into those areas because I think, again, nonprofit leaders have to be at least competent and confident enough to do all of that. And then number six is called build community. And I've got a lot of thoughts on strategic networking, building a personal board of directors, identifying aspirational peers. I get into some of those things and give people tactical ideas to get better. And then finally, put it all together, Stephen, the, what I call just kind of practice leadership. If your current organization doesn't allow it, where can you find opportunities in your community, maybe as a volunteer, so that you can get better? So, so when you were in your you know, before I go there, uh, I, I I give everybody some ideas uh, or an idea. I, so I I recently joined a, a, a bo- the board of a nonprofit called Wean Dream, and what what we do is we uh, f- we we get used co- well not, doesn't have to be used, but we get costumes to kids who can't afford them. Nice uh, for Halloween costumes, and. Um, and so I joined the board and uh, it's a small nonprofit. So one of the things that I, um, I really wanted, uh, well, well, I was able to uh, kind of uh, uh, lead them into doing was to have a strategic plan, which they don't have. Yep. So uh, as a, as a business owner, that's to me, a, you know, uh, something you have to have and it's a no brainer. Um, so for those who are out there, uh, you know, one of the things that you, you, if you're thinking about getting a strategic plan, um, one of the things you might want to type in Google is something called the one page strategic plan by Vern Harnish. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I've used that for 20 years and I know Vern, but uh, it's, it's not specifically made for nonprofit, but if you, if you take it, you can adopt it to a nonprofit. And in fact, I think some of the stuff they have on there are, are, are crossovers really, really well. And the one thing that I've learned over the years, it, you know, looking at your first uh, step that you said about vision and strategic plan, um, the, it's, it's really great to have it on one page. Yeah. You Agreed. know, because it doesn't get it. What I found with my own 
uh, type of work I've done is if it gets more than one page, you just don't implement it, right? <laughs> exactly if it's right. one page, it's right there. It's in front of you. You can print it out. You put it up on the bulletin board. Uh, it's easy to go over. And so that's one recommendation I have. Now, getting into the second question, I, I wanted to – well, let me ask you, Do you, have you found some great um, templates that allow you to create a good strategic plan for your nonprofit? Yeah, exactly. In fact – I uh, agree with your kind of keep it in a concise manner. The the book references a vision framework, which is, in fact, a one page strategic plan for oh. you as an individual. In, in other words, I find a lot of the leaders I work with in our mastermind program, they spend time on strategic planning for their nonprofit, but maybe not for themselves. And so I think the same principles apply. And, and so I encourage each of them to do just that. What is your vision? All right. Well, what is the what are your goals to get there? What are the time uh, increments you need to do that? And so I find nonprofit organizations and leaders can apply strategic planning to themselves just as they do for their organization. In fact, I encourage them to draft a personal case for support. And you know this from your board work and other nonprofit volunteering. You know, every nonprofit has a case for support. In essence, what they raise money around well, individuals need to have a personal case for support for their leadership journey so they can better define and articulate where they're trying to go. Yeah. In fact, I've had a, a life plan. I call it the life plan for, for me yep. since I was 22 years old. Now, over the years, and I'm really, I really keep it updated. I look at it every quarter. And uh, over the years, I keep adding to it, improving it. I don't mean the, uh, as much as the cat, the, uh, my own type of uh, improvements that I want to make on myself. I'm talking about if I hear something from a good speaker like you, I'm like, oh, that might look, you know, that might look really <laughs> good. Add that on my, to it, right? Yeah. Like, like one of the things I added uh, 15 years ago or so was my core competencies. And I try, it was based on a book that I had read, uh, read called Now Discover Your Strengths. And it, oh, it, was yeah. a it was a study done by the Gartner Group, very famous uh, uh, organization that studied 15,000 executives. And what they found out was executives that were very successful would gravitate toward the things that they were already really, really good at and delegate the things that they were not good at or stay right. away from the things that they were not good at. Anyway, based on that, I said, you know what? I have to start really understanding what my core competencies are. And so I keep that on the, um, on my life plan. And oh, by the way, the life plan is only one page long. Love it. So, right. So keeping it simple. Um, so going back over your career, tell me about the track that you think it was like for you to develop your own leadership skills. What was your experience? Yeah, I was fortunate, Stephen, to have an internship out of college at Chapel Hill with Special Olympics International. And what I thought might be fun to be in Washington, D.C. for a summer, and then I'll get a, quote, real job, became a career-defining opportunity. I was at Special Olympics in the early 90s when Eunice Kennedy Shriver, the founder, was still there. So I got to see global nonprofit leadership up close, and it was fantastic. And that is what has inspired the kind of the work I did. I worked for Special Olympics internationally and then here in North Carolina for about eight years then I moved into fundraising in the higher education space. So I was a vice president, vice chancellor for two universities, continued to sharpen my skills as a leader. And it was after that what became 20 years of collective experience 
that I started the consulting practice about 13 years ago. And I've been fortunate, Stephen, to work with about 250 now organizations and their leaders, both board and staff. And that's really what's inspired me to sharpen my own leadership skills because I'm fortunate enough to work with so many talented, both volunteer and staff leaders as well. What do you think? Like, tell me about the growth pattern that you noticed in yourself, uh, your leadership skills. Like, where how, where were you when you first started from a leadership standpoint? And where where did you end up? Yeah, I was I was too narrowly focused. You know, one of the lessons I've tried to impart to others, again, as I mentioned, I came in from the program side and I realized if I wanted to ascend the leadership ladder, I would need to be not expert in all areas of management, but I would need to be competent. And so, in fact, again, like your uh, your podcast title suggests, I got an MBA because what scared me early on, Stephen, was the finance. I was a program guy and I thought I could be a decent communicator, but budget finance scared me. So I'm like, all right, I need to work on this. I scheduled intentional meetings with the CFO of, of the Special Olympics organization to learn more, went back to school and got my degree and then felt at least competent as a leader and a manager around those areas that I was a bit weaker. It's like you said, the core competencies, I did a self-assessment then that helped me evaluate. And by the way, that's another kind of checklist I have in the book, because I think there are 10 skills and experiences that are uh-huh. essential. And I find that it's helpful to to use that as a self-assessment tool. Yeah, I know one of the things that I had to work on uh, a lot was what's what's termed EQ, my, <laughs> you know, my emotion. It's called emotional intelligence, right? Yes. My ability to, uh, I wouldn't say stay, uh, keep my. If you're a passionate person, okay, and I think this falls into a lot of founders and a lot of nonprofits personalities. If you because they, they really really care about their causes, right. Right. And if you're passionate about something, even that word passion means um, emotional. Right. And I think what I learned is I um, I don't know if it was testosterone as I got older or if it was knowledge. Uh, I don't know if it was the the classes and the improvements and the reading I did. But as a leader, you have to be. Uh, a little bit more even kill, uh, if that's the right way to put it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, did you find that you were already strong in EQ or did was that something that you had to work on? Uh, I got to give my, my parents credit. My yeah. mother in particular was very attuned to EQ, even if she didn't know the terminology back in the day. Uh, and, and so that relationship building, you're right, Stephen, for me as a consultant, I have to adapt to relationship management all the time from the hard-charging board chair who doesn't have time for a long explanation to the executive director who feels overwhelmed and needs someone just to listen to her and talk about what she's dealing with and so forth. So I feel like I've gotten better, but I've also utilized 360 evaluations. I don't know, Stephen, if you've done that as well, because sometimes you get you have blind spots that until someone else tells you, you wouldn't know. Yeah, not as much. I mean, uh, you know, I, I started my career off at Xerox for eight and a half years. And then, you know, when you work for a corporation, you get that 360. Right, exactly. but, yeah, not as much when I had my own companies, although um, 
sometimes I would go back to my employees, certainly, and ask them to give me feedback. I don't think I was as formalized as I would do it now. Um, but uh, I agree with you. I mean, and if you could do it anonymously, uh, <laughs> right. you know, right, right. And then you really get uh, uh, some good uh, re- I- issues uh, that makes you kind of stand up and say, oh, I have to work on this. Um, when you are coaching people, yep. uh, are you a coach? Or are you a consultant? Both. Both. I, I consult organizations, but coaching I do primarily through a mastermind small group leadership small group. program. That's good. That's a good way yep. to learn. And it's probably uh, more reasonably priced too, because you have a group involved. That's exactly. that's a great way. Because I I belonged to, uh, for, the, for now it's over 20 years, the entrepreneur organization and the group of nine guys that I was, I've been with them for over 20 years, which is really unbelievable. That is. Um, and that is the best way to learn. Um, I, so when you are bringing in your mastermind group, and let's say everybody is new to your mastermind group, uh, they may not be new to nonprofits, but new to the mastermind. What do you know is, notice is the most glaring example of weaknesses in their leadership skills? You've hit on one of them, Stephen. I think uh, personal organization is an area that I think as they climb the ladder, the volume only increases. And so we talk very specifically about things like you do, the weekly review, time blocking, delegating so that you don't get overwhelmed. Um, I find many of the others in terms of the knowledge areas, in terms of skills and knowledges you need to acquire, but financial acumen, an area you know better than anybody, but for Mm -hmm. many of the nonprofit leaders I work with, they came up with a passion for the program side. They came in through marketing, fundraising, special events, but financial acumen is the phrase I use that many of them need to develop. And so that's probably two that I would lift up as, um, you know, significant need. Well, actually, final point exacerbated by the pandemic, um, strategic networking, you know, there's an isolation in a lot of the leaders with which I work. And so the mastermind, uh, uh, among other things, I think it adds value, is it connects them with fellow ambitious, talented leaders, but outside of their personal kind of sphere. And so we've been able, because it's virtual, we've been able to put nonprofit leaders from all over the country together and, you know, in different sectors, different positions, but they all share a passion like you and I do for the nonprofit sector. And I think that's one something we've been able to do pretty well. Yeah, uh, I think the biggest so EQ is a big one for me. Uh, getting, uh, trying to st- create time for myself, to, like not being the worker bee. You know, <laughs> right. getting trying to get out of management. You know, once once I was able to do that more, I found that I I calmed down. You know, and I mean I here's an, and here's an idea like. When, when you run a smaller organization too, uh, this happened with one of the companies I had, um, I didn't have the budget to hire a director of staff or yeah. something like that, right? And so what I did was I took one of my employees and uh, who I thought could be really good at that, uh, at that role, and I, I, um, I, I named her a team captain, and I gave her extra money. Nice. So instead of bringing, you know, someone on for 50, 60, 70,000, whatever, depends on your area, but, you know, $1,000 a year as a director of staff, 
I, I, I said, I, I looked for the right person and I said, listen, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to give this a test and I'll let you, you're going to be the team captain. And that means this is, you know, what that means. And, um, you know, if it goes well, then I'll, I'll give you a, a $10,000 raise and this will be your new role, you know? That's and nice. Yeah. Where that actually person stayed with me for 18 years. Now at some point she didn't need to do that anymore because we were able to hire, you know, someone, but it's, it's a good way of getting stuff off your desk and a, and a good, like one of the good gauges I found, and I just actually just got back from vacation, but is that I should be able to go away on vacation and not call into the office and everything will run smoothly. Good point. And, yeah. And if you, and I found that if you can't do that, then you're doing too much. And I think a lot of nonprofit leaders, Stephen, are the same way. They feel like they can't really unplug at all for the exact same reason. And of course, they're going to burn out if they don't address that. So it's a great point you make. Yeah, I think there's another, and I agree with you. And I think the other part is like, it's a well, you, you want to have a well-run nonprofit, right? Yep. That's number, That's one of the goals. And the other one is, I think a lot of people who are uh, executive directors out there, they um, want the organization that they've are working at or they started to continue when they're not, when they either pass away it's or succession plan, right? Succession some, plan, right? Yeah. So how are you going to have a good succession plan if you're doing all the work and you leave? Uh, uh, to me, that's not a very good succession plan. No, it's not. And, and if you don't build up the leaders around you, they will leave. And as you know, there's a ter terrible uh, kind of plague, if you will, of turnover in the nonprofit sector. And I'm convinced, having worked with a lot of these leaders who leave, compensation is one thing, but they want professional development. So to your point, if you want to create succession and leadership development, you need to provide it for your top leaders. Let them get a graduate degree or let them, you know, improve themselves, they likely will stay around longer. And even if they leave, you create an environment that people want to work in. Right. And so as a leader, what are you doing to cultivate the talent pipeline? I'm convinced there are three distinct pipelines, Stephen. I kind of define in the book that, that there's the emerging leaders. You know, there's like 300 university programs now in nonprofit management and leadership. You know, 20 years ago, there would were 10, yeah. 300. So what are nonprofit leaders doing to attract these young emerging professionals that want to get into the field? There's a, third, a second group of what I would call kind of mid-career plateau. You know, they've reached the ceiling. They want to get up into senior leadership, don't know how to break through. And they're out there and looking for their opportunity. And then finally, I don't know if you've seen this, but there maybe, and again, during the pandemic, you know, the great resignation or whatever you want to call it, people leaving for profit, wanting to work in nonprofit and, and admire their passion. But how do we help them make that transition? And again, the sector can benefit from these leadership tracks. We've just got to help them do it. Yeah, I think the, uh, the key ingredient, like someone, uh, either I read it or someone told me it, that turnover is a reflection of management. It's not a reflection of pay. Agreed. And so you think about it like a job that maybe you left, right? How many times did you leave a job because you got a significant, big, huge change in what you're making versus you left the job 
because the management was terrible. You were treated very poorly. And then how many times, if you think inside of it, that you stayed at a company because you're like, oh boy, I don't know if the grass is any greener somewhere else. They treat me really well here. I get paid okay. Um, you know, it's not worth me making a move for an extra, you know, 5%, 7% increase. Right. You know, uh, you know, they have a good career path for me here. Uh, I, you know, it, it's always, if you're, if you have a lot of turnover at your organization, I hate to say it, but you need to kind of look inside yourself. <laughs> That's exactly right. right. Um, exactly. The, the great resignation that you're talking about. Uh, so I didn't know that people are moving from non uh, for profits to nonprofits in a bigger number. It makes sense because people are looking for more. Um, uh, they're looking for more in their lives. I exactly. guess. Correct. That's what um, I'm hearing. Do you think that's going to continue? I do. I think people have had a chance to reflect and that personal reflection has led to, Hey, what do I want to do long-term? And, and maybe I just, you know, I don't like, just do not feel fulfilled. Now, the, the, the challenge is just because it, it, the grass seems greener on the nonprofit side, because maybe I volunteered for Special Olympics or Habitat for Humanity or fill in the blank. And then I'm like, gosh, if I could have that good feeling all the time in my employment state, wouldn't that be great? Of course, what I have to caution people about, and I have like one coffee a week with somebody who's thinking about this. I'm like, hey, just realize it's hard work. You know, you're not going to come over to the nonprofit and kind of semi-retire. And it's not always going to be just feel-good volunteer experiences. So once people get comfortable with that, yes, they have transferable skills, but they also need to what you, the good question you asked earlier, Stephen, the complexity may not be apparent to them right away. Those things like less resources, less people, the governance structure that's different than you're used to. So we need to make sure these for-profit lateral entries understand what they're getting into. Yeah, I think that if I ran a nonprofit too, I would kind of challenge the, uh, not the idea, but I would, I would try to build an organization where the people were, were compensated better than, um, than the industry does. Good. You know, I mean, you also, if you have the right people, you can have less of them. And if you have the right people and they're really good at what they do, there's no no brainer that your organization is, is going to achieve its purpose. Yeah, but you got, what you got to do is convince some funders sometimes who you, there's all this kind of negative press about, oh, did you see that nonprofit leader making too much money? And I put that in quotes or, you know, why I want my dollars to go to program, not to the staff. And, and, and I'm a big I, we got to fight that because it's exactly what you said. If we want our programs to be successful, we need to invest in those people. But we still fight against funders who don't want to put their money into the people they want it to go straight to the program and they starve the leadership. And that's why we, I think to some degree have some of that turnover. Yeah. And I I had a really good guest on a long time ago that on my podcast that, you know, talked about that particular issue. And although I haven't done it myself, you know, I think you need to be able to go to your funders uh, and say, you need to have a talk track and saying why it's important that a part of their donation goes to um, what's it called? Unrestricted, right? Or yeah, the unrestricted, right? Unrestricted expenses. Yes. Um, 
you know, and, you know, let's look at it. How many of your, uh, um, the people that uh, provide donations to your organization, how many of them come from the business world? I'm sure. I don't know, 90%, right? Huge, right? And if you start talking to me or you start talking to somebody who, who's your big fund uh, donator uh, and say, you know, in order to accomplish this, we need really good staff. And, and in order to have really good staff, this is what the going rate is out there. And, you know, I need to be able to pay this amount. And, you know, in order to get really good people, that is a conversation that is very well understood. By they, it's completely understand that you have to have good people. You have, and if you know if you're paying someone, you know forty thousand dollars, and the industry is paying them seventy, it's not going to last. It's not going to last, and you're going to get. You know, we did say turnover is an issue of management, but you know, you still need to have both, right? Agreed. Um, So. so like kind of a final walk away about what you would suggest to our listeners about developing their leadership skills. What would you kind of say to them? Identify aspirational peers is, is one of the things we talk about in the mastermind. Again, in this kind of environment of isolation, I think it's very helpful both in just terms of your emotional kind of support, but as well as your tactical support. Who are the best people doing your job? Maybe not in your, even in your sector. So if I'm in education, maybe there's somebody doing my job in healthcare or arts and culture. Find those people in your community or even outside your community. Connect with them. I, I really believe strategic networking is a way to both learn and it also may lead to opportunities down the road. Uh, I like, again, the graduate education theme you and I both talk about. Um, I encourage everybody to set a kind of one-year graduate program. Uh, it's your own curriculum. Um, you don't literally have to go back to school, but what are you going to do this summer? What is a skill or experience you're going to work on and put on your list in the next 90 days or the next 120 days? So again, I just believe in a, as a coach, it's one thing to talk theory, you know, about some of these concepts. I'm always saying, what are you going to do about it? Yep. Hopefully the book gives them some specific ideas to, uh, to do something about just that. And, and my suggestion would be join Patton's um, uh, mastermind group. You know, that's really. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it just makes complete sense. Uh, it's probably a huge bang for the buck. And, uh, you know, I think if you, if, you go, if you go to one of your funders and say, I, I really need to develop as a, as a leader. And can we take a, a portion of this and um, of the money you're donating and, and uh, get, you know, can I please use it for you know, this mastermind group, right? Yeah. you know, I think it'll help me raise more funds. It'll teach me about fundraising. It'll teach me about better leadership skills, which is a function of fundraising. So um, I think that's the way to go. So um, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank so very much, uh, Patton McDowell from PMC Nonprofit Leadership for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please p- feel free to share it with a friend. The Nonprofit MBA podcast has become extremely popular. Uh, we are now in the top 3% of the top podcasts in our sector, and I really appreciate you, our listeners, for that. Also, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And please, if you like today's podcast, please give us a five-star review. It really helps us get the word out. 
and it really is beneficial. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Peyton, Peyton, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Patton McDowell is my name, of course, my website, PattonMcDowell.com. I'm on LinkedIn pretty actively. And on the website, again, PattonMcDowell.com, you can find out about the book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. And I've also got a podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, that might be of interest as well. And I want to thank all our listeners out there for making the world a better place. Um, you know, I know Peyton and I are, uh, 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 Patton and I are all doing our, uh, we're trying to do our part, but you guys are out there doing the heavy lifting. I thank you for what you do. Um, the world needs a lot of help and, uh, and we need to encourage everybody to do their part. So everybody have a fantastic day. Take good part of good leadership is taking good care of yourself. So please get out there. Uh, exercise, eat right. Remember that you are the most important part of your organization and you need to take really good care of yourself. Everybody have a fantastic day.